Let's go to our text messages. We've got a few text messages here. Uh, this one says here, totally agree, Lyle. Apologetics should be taught to all Year 12 students in all Christian schools. Darwinian evolution is a demonic cancer that will kill the believers mentally, physically, and spiritually. I pray that they will have the opportunity to know that God loves them and wants them in his kingdom. Shame to mm. the Christian schools and universities that teach evolution as a fact for the love of for, for the love of money. God will judge while saying that I also appreciate the pressure placed on them by the government education department. Church and state don't mix and mm. should not mix. So it's an interesting uh I really like this um this text message here. I I think that they've raised a bunch of good points and I think that what we need to do is Learn not to be afraid of evolution, but to address evolution, to understand evolution, even to teach evolution so that we can understand how to refute evolution. Because too often, when it comes to these kinds of discussions, both sides end up fighting straw men. They fight, end mm. up fighting arguments that the other side is not using. Mm. And, of course, that does no one any good. Okay, the Vatican, soon they will rule the world in the name of Jesus. How sad. Jesus will soon come to take the reins back. Uh, and then we've got this one. National MP and social media censorship sounds good, but it simply limits free speech. Who decides what is right or wrong? Are we supposed to believe everything that the main media says? Mm. We haven't learned anything about this issue in the last two years. I'd say the last five, but whatever. We have learned nothing. Just go back in history and remember how mass media was used. Uh, for example, Germany, Russia, China, North Korea. Need I say more? Mm. So it's a valid point, and I think that you know, citizen media, which is what we have in social media, is actually good for a healthy society. The question is, how do we, how do we deal with citizen media in a way that we don't create World War Three? Mm. Because kind of that's what citizen media is. Well, the existence of social media and the social media algorithms are doing at the moment. I think what it comes down to is this. And once again, I don't have all the solutions. But I think that social media just need to abide by the legislation that already is in place. Yeah. Thou shalt not kill. Therefore, if you are promoting killing somebody, that post gets deleted mm. and passed on to the relevant authorities. Um, you know, Simple things like that. Uh, we already have that in relationship to child pornography. If you post child pornography on Facebook, it's going to be deleted and it's going to be passed on to the relevant authorities. Mm -hmm. So we already have laws in place. What we need to do is to switch off the money-making algorithms. Mm. Okay, so the reason that social media always feeds your inbox with only the things that you want to hear is because they want to keep you addicted and they want to keep you coming back and they want to keep uh, being able to advertise to you because the more advertisements that you see on social media, then the more popular that, that advertising becomes, the more money they make. Mm. If they switch those algorithms off so that we actually have genuine discussions and we actually see more than just our side of the story, and we recognize that there are counter-arguments out there. And we can have those discussions and, and explore those subjects backwards and forwards, then uh, I think that would be a much healthier society. Totally. But it would damage the bottom line of the social media companies. Mm. Don't th think that's going to happen anytime soon. 
Anyway, uh, ooh, Karen texts in to say that she once killed a spider and green stuff oozed out. For those of you wondering who have tuned in just recently, uh, Lawson started the show by telling a spider story that happened to him this morning. He put his <laughs> pants on and there was a huntsman inside his pants. <laughs> That's got to be the freakiest thing that you can ever <laughs> even think of. I used to live on a road where all the mailboxes were at the end of the road. Mm. And at the end of the road where all the mailboxes were, there was also a whole bunch of houses. Mm. So lots of houses around that particular spot. Not so many houses near my house further down the road. I reached into the mailbox to grab my mail and a huntsman crawled out on the bottom of my hand and the underside of my wrist. And so I tried to flick it off on the ground, but it was very, very quick and it crawled down my arm and I'm trying to flick it off. And now it's in my car, still trying to flick it off, still missing it. It goes down all the way down my leg and then crawls up inside my pant leg and sits on my calf. That is freaky. Okay, so what are my options at this particular point? If I roll up my pants leg, it's going to crawl higher. That's not a fun option. Yeah. No, not going there. Mm -hmm. If I take my pants off, I'm surrounded by all my (laughs) neighbours. So, uh, well, the long and the short of it is that I very, very gingerly drove home with this spider sitting on my ankle until I could find the privacy of my own backyard and take my pants off from the top down so that the spider went down rather than up. (laughs) Now, I don't remember what happened to that spider, but it may have also had a tragic ending. If you have a spider story, uh, we did, we did uh, let you know that we can, you can share your, your favourite spider story here this morning and hopefully there are some ones out there with um, some happier endings. All right, let's have what Do else they have we got deserve here? it though? I don't know. Huntsmen's do good things sometimes. World War Three will be started as it has throughout history by the New World Order and secret societies. There you go. Oh. Um, oh, I missed, a, I missed a text here. Did I miss a text? Let me just see here. Let me go back. There was one about mushrooms, it seems. Okay, mushrooms on steroids. When you consider that natural remedies have been around for thousands of years worldwide, a gift from God through nature, have you ever read the contra-information that comes with pharmaceutical products that are in the most part or part a synthetic copy of nature? Not saying we should not take them, but we should consider that other damage it can cause us while leaving the symptoms of our sickness. Mm. And it's true. Natural remedies are absolutely fantastic. Um, we like to promote natural remedies here on Faith FM where, wherever we possibly can. Mm. Quick reminder, we're back on again this evening with the end.digital. We hope that you join us at 8 o'clock. We have an amazing presentation and we are leading up to the testimony by the ex-clairvoyant, something not to be missed. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So since we're studying the book of Deuteronomy, let's go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, and we will pick up where we left off in verse 10 yesterday. So let's read verse 10 and 11 as we dive into today's Bible study. We're actually running just a fraction behind, but we will be catching up. All right, here we go. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 10 and 11, the Bible says, For the land you are about to enter and take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you came. Wait, 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 wait. Deuteronomy? Oh, I was reading chapter 11. 
I was going to say your translation is often very different from mine, but mine usually has the same place names. Yeah, sure. Okay, doesn't have go. anything about Egypt. Okay, here we go. Uh, chapter 10 and verse 10, the Bible says, As for me, I stayed on the mountain of, in the Lord's presence for 40 days and nights, um, as I had done the first time. And once again, the Lord listened to my pleas and agreed not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Get up and resume the journey and lead the people to the land I swore to give their ancestors so they may take possession of it. Okay, so in the uh, KJV in verse 11, the Lord said unto me, Arise, take your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give it unto them. And so, okay, so let's, let's, let's work our way back through this story a little bit of what is actually going on here. We talked about the Ten Commandments yesterday mm. and how that God wrote the Ten Commandments, and this is the only part of the Bible that God wrote, and it's the one part of the Bible that people are more desperate to get rid of than any other part of the Bible. Mm. Uh, no surprise there. Then we also talked about, well, that's, that was kind of mostly what we talked about, in fact, uh, but now we also need to talk about why Moses is up there twice and why there are two copies of the Ten Commandments. Mm. We didn't really go into that in detail. So let's review that story because Deuteronomy is all about reviewing the story. Sure. So Moses goes up into the mountain. He receives the Ten Commandments from God. Mm. While he is there, the people get agitated and anxious. They are camped at the bottom of the mountain, and Moses has simply vanished. After he's gone, been gone for about 40 days and 40 nights, they kind of figure, well, no one can survive that long without food. He must be dead. Mm. Now, of course, he's been sustained by God. He's in the presence of God. You probably kind of don't need to eat a whole lot when you're in the presence of God. Maybe he took food with him. I don't know. Maybe God provided him food, or maybe he just didn't get hungry. Either which way, he was fit and healthy when he came back down the mountain. But they're like, Moses is God gone. We have this God that is up on top of the mountain, but we have nobody to communicate with that God You know, between us and that God. We have no intercessor, no mediator right here. Um, and we are too afraid to speak to that God ourselves. Mm. And this is where they really came unstuck because any one of those people could have gone directly to God and spoken directly to God. But they were, they were scared. They were mm. afraid. Um, and as a result of that, what they're like, well, let's make another God. And they make a golden calf in the sight of the God that they are scared of. Mm. You know, when you start to think about the logic behind all of this, it really makes you scratch your head like, what on earth is going on here? Why would they be making a golden calf in the sight of... Of a god that, but anyway, yeah, like like a golden material object in the shape yes. of a cow. When they're seeing a tornado of wind and fire on a mountain, and they're getting that manna, is literally they're getting manna every day. Yeah, you know how are you going to survive the journey back to Egypt if you don't get manna every day? Mm. So they're like, let's make us ourselves our own gods, and let's find another leader, and let's go back to Egypt. So that's what they do. They, they make this god. Uh, they then like, well, let's, have an, let's, let's create an annual festival for this god. So they create an annual festival. And the Bible says they ate and they drank. They rose up, up to play. Um, and so, you know, there was lots of uh, things that were involved with the worship of this particular god that were all of them blasphemy against the god mm. that was on the mountain, the real god, the actual god. And so Moses comes down and... Uh, 
he's coming down with his servant, and the servant's like, uh, I think it was Joshua. Joshua's like, there's war in the camp. I can hear war. And Moses is like, no, that's that's celebration. They were you know, having a massive festival, a party in the camp. And when Moses gets down there and sees the golden calf, he takes the tables of stone that God himself has physically written on with his own finger and he smashes them at the base of the mountain mm. in front of all the people. You know, it would be interesting for those people as they gathered around and saw those broken commandments, those broken stones, and to pick them up and to see, you know, where they have been perfectly carved into by the finger of God. Mm. I would love to see, you know, God's handwriting. It could have possibly been like the smoothest calligraphy they've ever seen, but yes. carved into stone, stone, deep, smooth, like... Brittle stone too, yeah. what's more, because it breaks when he drops it. And so then God's like, okay, separate yourself from these people, walk away from them, uh, I'm just going to burn them all. I'm mm. destroy them all and I'll start, I'll, I'll make you Abraham the second, you can be the father of a great nation. I'll start over from scratch because I just can't deal with these people, they are too rebellious. And so then Moses goes back up into the mountain and he spends this time with God and he kind of skips over it here. He says, I stayed on the mountain according to the first time, 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord listened to me that time also, and the Lord would not destroy you. What Moses has left out is that he stood between the people and God, and he basically said, okay, God, forgive these people. Please forgive these people. And if you won't forgive them, just just don't make a great nation out of me. Destroy me eternally. Mm. Let me die the second death. Condemn me along with them. Mm. And so God stands, sorry, Moses stands as a mediator. And this is why the Bible talks about uh, when it prophesies, the prophecies about Jesus are prophecies a man like Moses, Mm. someone who stands in between, someone who stands as a mediator. Uh, Could Moses mediate for their sin as in forgiveness of sin like Jesus can? No. No. But he did take that role of being a mediator and a type or a symbol of Christ. Mm. And so, yeah, it's important for us to remember this particular story and to look at what uh, is actually going on here. And at the end of that time, God's like, okay, all right, I won't destroy these people. Go back, lead them for another 40 years, take them into the promised land. Mm. Wow, what a task. Yeah. Let's pick it up in verse 12. In verse 12, it continues on. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. In verse 13, it continues on. It says, And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Okay, so here we have the repeat of the same theme, and really you've got it right the way through the book of Deuteronomy. It just comes up again and again and again and again. If you if you love me, keep my commandments. Mm. This is what Jesus said, and he was really summarizing what Moses says over and over and over again. You know, And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Fear God, that means to respect God, walk in his ways, love him, serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, and keep his commandments. Mm. Love God, keep the commandments. And the love always comes before the commandments. Because 
Love is the reason why we keep the commandments. Mm. We don't keep the commandments to be saved. We keep the commandments because we are saved. They are an evidence of our salvation, and commandment keeping is merely an evidence of our lack of salvation. Mm. All right, let's uh, continue. Where do we get up to? Verse 13. Let's read verse 14. In verse 14, the Bible says, Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as objects of his love, and he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, nations, as is evidence today. Therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. Okay, so you've got an interesting translation of verse 16, which is vastly different from mine. What does yours say? Ah, we'll get to it. We'll hold it in uh, suspense. Okay, all right. Fair enough. We will, you will hear my translation after we have uh, this next song. Okay. All right. But it is vastly different from yours, and it includes words that yours didn't even come close to including. But anyway, uh, let's look here. The Bible says the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's. And mm. it continues on. Um, and um, and the Lord your God and the earth also with all that is in it. And so God proclaims that he owns everything that is in this world. Mm. Them and also everyone else. Yeah. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. <laughs> All right, let's uh, continue on. What? Okay. What is so good about your? Oh, King I don't know James what is good. I'm just saying it's translation something or other. Like, we'll read your lame translation first. Oh, okay, whatever. Like, okay. By the way, this isn't even my Bible. Like, <laughs> like this isn't even my translation. But I feel, I feel secondhand offended for whoever wrote this. Like, because it's it's okay. And it says here in All verse right. sixteen. Therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. Okay, mine Fair says. Enough. Mine says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. It's like basically the same thing. It's not even close to the same what thing. Do you mine is mean? way more gnarly than yours, and you have to That's, admit that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. But it uses illustrations that the people would have understood not to be like controversial. Would have made sense to them. Indeed, and what it is doing, it well, actually, I think it may have been controversial, and it may have been a new concept to them when Paul talks. I mean, not Paul. Mo, I keep trying to say Paul because it's so much like the words of Paul. Mm. You know, Paul has these all of these chapters in the book of Romans about circumcision mm. and circumcising your heart and your mind rather than your body, and he got these concepts from reading the book of Moses. Mm. But anyway, Moses says, um, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. This would have been a new concept to them because circumcision to them was an outward sign that they were children of Abraham. Mm. And uh, what Moses is saying is you need an outward sign that you are children of God. Mm. And that outward sign needs to be written on your heart and not just a physical thing in your flesh. Mm. And when it is written on your heart, it will be an outward sign because it will be loving God and keeping his commandments. That's what he's just been talking about in the previous verses, love God and keep his commandments. And when our heart, when the outward sign is on our heart, on our mind, then that outward sign will be seen in our actions and in the way that we live. Mm. There's an interesting uh, mixture of images here, you know, the foreskin, the heart, the neck. Um 
But the point is that circumcision was a sign of the covenant, but it's only an outward sign, and God wants that sign in our hearts. All right, so think about all the times the Lord has forgiven you of your sins, listener. Um, what should that tell you about his grace? What does it tell you about his grace, Lawson? Well, when you think about all of the times that God has forgiven you of your sins, what does that tell you about his grace? Oh, it's like, it's it's just like massive. Like I, I think it's a really, really good thing to ponder on and, and like particularly, you know, when you come to God in prayer of a morning and you're praying to him, you're petitioning him like, you know, Lord, I want this thing to happen and this thing to happen and I want this to go well and da-da-da-da-da. And, and usually it's in that time as well where you'll, like before you start to make those petitions, you'll consider like, oh man, how have I strayed from God? You know, what do I need forgiveness for? And what do I need to repent for? And you start realizing like, Man, am I even in a position to ask God for anything if I'm so such a sinner and such a failure? You know, and, and it's interesting. You, you know, you could consider Lyle or myself or whoever. You could say, "Oh, but you guys are like followers of God," you know. But that doesn't stop the fact that we're sinners in need of a savior and that we fall short. And so, yeah, it's just like it. It, it is powerful to think about because, yeah, the hide our sin is so existent. It's so high. It's so numerous. Um, yet God's, you know, grace, it's a drop in the bucket compared to God's grace um, and the mercy and the willingness that he has to forgive. Obviously, as we've been reading here about obedience, he wants to lead us to repent also and to change, which is incredible too because it's like God is so loving and giving and merciful that he wants to change us and grass into something moving forward. So, yeah, it's a really, really powerful section of Scripture here. Mm, absolutely. All right, let's go back and look at, look at verse 14 in a little bit more detail where the Bible says, Behold, the heaven and the heavens is the Lord's, your God. The earth mm. also, with how much that is in it? Mm-hmm. How much? Verse, end of verse 14 there. Oh, you've, you've mo- at the end of verse 14, it says Everything. Everything. Mine says all, all, mm. everything. Everything that is in it belongs to God. Mm. So does that include all the people as well? Yeah, of course. Absolutely it does. God has chosen every single one, every single person here on this planet for salvation. Mm. It does not mean that they will reciprocate that choice, but that is God's choice. God wants to see every single person saved. The Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering or patient toward us, not mm. willing that any should perish. Yeah, It is not God's will that anyone perishes. Mm. It is God's will that everyone comes to life. And it's powerful to, to consider, and like, to salvation. in in uh, First Timothy chapter 2, where the Bible says, God um, has a desire for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You then got to think, like, okay, what does it take for all men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth? And that's the thing. Like God, through the sacrifice of Jesus, has done what is necessary for literally everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Like he has given everything for that to take place, yet he knows. Like he's not going to receive a, a return on his investment. He is going to fall well short. It's uh, The Bible simply says, like at the end of time, like those who don't choose God, those who are condemned are... Uh, numerous like the sand of the sea like a lot of people choose against god yet god is the one who has chosen them 
who has given everything for them. And so it, I think in that sense, yeah, it just really shows the love of God. And mm. it, it is compelling to us. Like, man, if God is willing to give me everything in spite of my decision to follow him or not, like I could choose to be lost and be lost, yet God would still sacrifice everything for me, man, I should probably choose him. Like, what could I possibly give God that he hasn't already given me? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. powerful. Okay, Psalms 24 and verse 1 for us, please, Lawson. Ooh, just it. reinforcing this thought right here, Psalms 24 and verse 1. As I turn there, Psalms chapter 24 and verse 1, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Okay, and so this is one of the things that I think that, you know, the Jewish people did miss by the time you come down to the time of Jesus. Mm. And that is that, yes, they read passages here like you've got in verse 15 where God says, I've chosen you as a special people. Mm. But they missed the verse before and they missed the verse after where God's like, no, actually all the people in the world I have chosen. Wow. And we need to remember that. Certainly they were God's church at this particular time, but God has chosen everyone for salvation and Jesus died for whosoever will. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Now it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question essentially is, um, it's, it's about, you know, this, this period that they've gone through, the bit we're reading in Deuteronomy, they eventually go into the promised land. And the question is... Why weren't the men, and this is based on Joshua chapter 5 and verse 2, um, where the verse reads that they are then circumcised at that point before they go into the promised land by Joshua. And the question is, why weren't the men of Israel already circumcised, as that was a promise given to them? Um, and, and why, you know, why did they have to circumcise them as adults? Yeah, really good question right here. So you find it in uh, verse 2, the Bible says, uh, this is, uh, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, make sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. This is just after they have crossed over the Jordan River. Mm. It is before the conquest of Jericho. Uh, the land that they have conquered on the west side of the Jordan, uh, sorry, on the eastern shore of the Jordan River is land that is kind of extra. It wasn't part of the original promise. Mm. Um, it's it's kind of bonus land that they receive um, as a result of conquering those nations. But now they've crossed the Jordan. They're actually in the promised land that was promised to Abraham. And before they begin the conquest, there's this time of recommitment to God and getting everything right with God. And so there's been a bump, bunch of people here uh, who have obviously not, you know, a bunch of men who have not been circumcised uh, which was a sign of their obedience to God. And so they go ahead with this circumcision. Now the question is, why did you have so many people within the uh, congregation of Israel uh, amongst the Israelites who were uncircumcised? And there's a couple of answers for that. And one of the things that I think that we need to consider, which we often don't consider, is the size of the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. And so you remember mm. when the plagues fell on Egypt, they were severe plagues. They were clearly supernatural plagues. They were very clear evidence to the Egyptians of the power of Yahweh uh, showing his power far over and above any of the the power of any of their gods. And as a result of that, there was an enormous number of Egyptians who joined the Israelites when the Israelites came out. It's interesting, interesting that God did not deny these Egyptians citizenship. He did not did deny them as being a part of 
uh, the group. There was no doubt a significant amount of intermarriage between the Egyptians and the Israelites that had created this mixed multitude, as well as just a whole bunch of hanger-oners mm. who, who actually looked at it and it made sense to them, why would we serve a crocodile god when we can serve the ruler and creator of heaven and earth who can bring these kinds of plagues? And so it made a lot of sense for the Egyptians. Now, we know from the numbers that went out of Egypt that there was well over a million people as a part of this congregation. And if you do, if you begin with Jacob and his 12 sons, and if you do a projection uh, from those 12 sons forward, and if you have each one of those families, each one of those sons having 12 children, you're not going to come anywhere near it remotely a million people within the time frame that they actually lived in Egypt. The only way you can have that very, very large congregation is by having a very, very large population of Egyptians. Mm. And I think that this was something that the Israelites chose to forget later in life. Like, oh, you know, we're a pure bloodline of Abraham. No, you're not. You're half Egyptian, all of you are half Egyptian yeah. because of the mixed multitude. Now, the mixed multitude turned out to be the ones who caused the most problems. Mm because they were the ones who were the most steeped in paganism. So the the Israelites were definitely steeped in paganism, having lived in Egypt and having forgotten God, but they weren't as far into it as what the Egyptians were. And so these were the people who were the most hesitant uh, in relationship to following God. And so if you've got bad parents in the congregation and people who are hesitant to circumcise, Clearly, it's going to be the mixed multitude who are going to be the ones who are furthest behind the scenes. When they get to the promised land, Joshua's like, you know, you guys have been a part of, you're all second generation, at least. Mm. You're all second generation Israelites. You know, you've got no excuses anymore. And so if you haven't been circumcised, now is the time. And Mm. so that was the time, and that's what they did. And he made sharp knives, and they got it done, and they went on to conquer the land. Wow. So there's kind of a uh, a short history. I guess the lesson from that is to be good parents and to obey the commands of God. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.